All right. Well, there are other people filtering in, but we'll go ahead and get started. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, we'll continue in our study of the book of Daniel. Um, And let me uh, open our time together in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do uh, come this morning to bless and glorify your name because you are the God um, who created uh, the entire universe, that you are uh, eternal, uh, that your being is forever and ever. And it's from you that all wisdom and power uh, comes, as we'll see in this chapter of Daniel um, today, that uh, you are the, the, the sovereign, that you raise kings up and you bring them down, that you um, uh, direct the course of history, and that you've revealed yourself to humanity, that you reveal yourself and make known uh, your loving purposes, uh, your good news, uh, that you uh, are at work establishing a kingdom that will be eternal, uh, in contrast to the kingdoms of men which crumble and fall and turn to dust, that you are establishing your kingdom over uh, the entire earth, and that our uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will rule and does rule uh, from your heavenly throne and will rule into all eternity. And we pray uh, for his kingdom to come uh, quickly uh, and uh, be established, uh, and that your righteousness and justice will be revealed, even as you make it known uh, within human history. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, Uh, for how it directs us uh, into uh, uh, all things we need to know concerning uh, your truth, that it uh, guides our paths as we study your word. And so we ask for that spirit this morning to teach us, to instruct us, to show us um, ourselves and our sinfulness, our our need for uh, your good news, the, the cleansing that comes only through Jesus Christ, um, help us to humble ourselves, but to glorify you and magnify your name, our Heavenly Father. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so last week uh, we started into the book of Daniel, um, and we um, began with just a brief kind of overview, sort of emphasizing that even though Daniel can be broken into um, what seem like very different sections, that there's one common theme that connects and runs through the whole book. That um, even though the people of God at this moment are in bondage to a heathen nation, God himself is the sovereign and ultimate disposer of the destinies of both individuals and nations. Um, The very nation which has conquered Israel will itself disappear from history, followed by another empire and another and another, and we'll see that um, particularly this morning. So um, as we went through chapter 1 last week, we started with the the brief uh, context uh, that uh, the author gives us, um, the moment of this first captivity of Israelites into Babylon in the year 605, And he emphasizes that even though this apparent victory of Babylonian gods over the God of the people of Israel uh, was signified by the removing of sacred objects from the temple in Jerusalem into uh, Babylon, in reality, it was the Lord himself 
who handed over his own people in punishment for their sin, as God himself had made known uh, long ago through his prophets. The main action in chapter 1 stemmed from Nebuchadnezzar's um, long-term strategy of pacification of conquered peoples by enlisting its young people into his service. And we talked about how he's isolating these young men, he's trying to indoctrinate them um, in Chaldean language and literature so they'd start thinking like Babylonians rather than Israelites. He tried to seduce them with a lavish lifestyle of food and drink, and um, he emphasized um, this kind of attempt to confuse by changing their names, um, altering their names to reflect Babylonian gods. So, um, so that's the kind of action that drives uh, the chapter, and we see that Daniel and his three friends, even though they're under intense pressure to conform, um, at a young age, and again, they're teenagers, um, they instead um, resolved in their hearts that they wouldn't defile themselves, that they realized that some things can't be negotiated, compromised, that they had to take a stand, um, and they did. Um, but we also saw how they didn't take a stand um, stubbornly, but humbly and respectfully, asking the permission of the steward um, to pursue their course of action, and expressing that trust that God would reward their faithfulness. And indeed, as the chapter ended, we saw how God did bless and reward their faithfulness um, by giving them learning that they might discern between the false and true in their instruction. Um, and he gave Daniel particularly um, this facility of interpreting dreams and visions, which um, sets the stage for the scene in chapter 2. So with that, um, chapter 2 is really long, <laughs> so bear with me. Uh, we're going to read through the whole thing. It's, it's one story, um, uh, so that's why you know, we're going to try to tackle the whole thing, but if we end up um, getting bogged down in details and need to split it, we, we might do that too. But um, it is one story, so I want to read it as one um, story together. Uh, hear now the word of God from Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, and this is the point I had mentioned last week where the book shifts from Hebrew to Aramaic. This is the moment uh, it shifts. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know a certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. 
If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the inter its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing, or any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went, to Arioch, went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanters, magician, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of my wisdom, that I have more than all the living, but in order that the 
interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and to in who, into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom, inferior to you, shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like the iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were, feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people, it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we discuss it this morning. All right. So, um, chapter 2 uh, presents um, a, a contrast between the characters of Daniel and that of Nebuchadnezzar. So let's start. It starts with Nebuchadnezzar. So what do we learn 
about Nebuchadnezzar from his dream and his reaction to it. Um, what prompts his intention to destroy the wise men of Babylon, which puts Daniel and his friends at risk? So, yeah, what, what's setting the stage here for the action of the chapter? Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so two things. One, you know, and, and uh, in verse one, like it's three phrases. Um, uh, you know, he had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. So the dreams that he's having are, are, are troubling him. And, you know, they, they so disturb him that he can't sleep. And, you know, we've all had those kind of like things where thoughts are running through your mind, you, you know, something at work or something, or something happened during the day. And, you know, you, you sure, I'm sure you've probably had one of those moments where sleep left you. So imagine if that's the situation, like, and it goes on for days and days and days, like, you know, that you, you know, you're just so disturbed by what you've seen in this dream. Um, that you can't sleep. And then the flip side of it, knowing that, you know, your wise men, as he says, uh, and as Ronnie noted, you know, he doesn't quite trust them. <laughs> You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Like, you know, you can kind of think of like that moment where, um, you know, uh, in, in Kings where they call all the court prophets to, should we go up to war? And they're like, oh yeah, go ahead. And he's like, isn't there a real prophet we can talk to? Like, these are just a bunch of yes men who want to say whatever the king wants to hear, you know, slick words, but not get uh, to what is really, the dream really means and what's disturbing the king about it. Yeah, John, you were going to say something. Yeah, like, you know, we're going to clean house <laughs> of wise men and, astro you know, everybody who's been surrounding him, you know, because of the way they respond to him um, and because he's, he has this suspicion um, of them, like, he purposes to get rid of them. And I, I think, you know, to go back to the, the way I phrased the question, like, this tells us something about Nebuchadnezzar in a situation like here's somebody who Daniel himself is going to describe as a king of kings um, who has kingdom, power, might, glory, you know, into hand God has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heaven, you know. So here's somebody that Daniel is going to describe as a ruler of rulers and yet you know, despite all he possesses, the power, the wealth, um, the people, he doesn't have peace. Um, you know, uh, a troubling dream robs him of, of any sense of equipose. Um, and, uh, you know, in that, like, lack of 
peace also means he has a lack of trust in those around him. Um, you know, he's not at peace with himself, and therefore he has no trust for anybody else. Um, and I love how Daniel says, you know, God is going to show you the thoughts of your own mind. <laughs> like, he, he doesn't know himself. Um, you know, that um, he's so, even though he has everything, like, he, he doesn't have peace. And I, I think that's a really important um, lesson to, to take from this, that it's not in the abundance of possessions that makes one content. Um, there's a contentment that, that only comes um, from knowing God. Um, as Augustine said, the heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. And I think um, Nebuchadnezzar is a good example of that. Um, and it, you know, his own personal um, uh, lack of, of peace um, leads into this brash edict to, to lash out at all the people around him who can't supply him what he needs at that moment. Good. What else would you say about Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, Jay. Yeah, that making sure that he, they know that this truth that's being shown to them is coming to them, um, not because, and I think you're absolutely right, there, there are definite parallels to Joseph here speaking truth to um, uh, Pharaoh, um, and, and Bo Joseph does the same thing that Daniel does. I can't, I don't have the power to interpret dreams, but God does. Like, you know, so he's using the people of God to show the truth of the God of Israel, that he is the God, to these people in powerful positions. And I think I mentioned this last week. That's one reason some people think this is why from 2 to 7, chapter 7, which repeats the same, it's a, a different vision that Daniel has, but it's very similar in terms of the kingdoms and the message that one of the reasons this section is in Aramaic is because it is the people of God speaking truth to pagan kings, that they need to know whatever power and authority you possess, you possess it only because it, you know, God has chosen to give it to you, and he can take it away and will destroy the kingdoms of this earth because he's establishing you know, a kingdom that will last. But, you know, making it very clear that it's the God, um, the God, uh, the God of Israel, who has given Nebuchadnezzar this vision. He's chosen, as Daniel says, he's chosen to make known to you, O king, what's going to happen after you. Um, but he's also making it known to the king that he is the God um, who can reveal truths like this. He is the God um, who is, is over all human history, that 
Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful as he is, as glorious as he is, um, is, in, in a sense, the creation of Israel's God and um, has been, you know, he's received everything that he has. It's not his, um, you know, uh, it's not his own creation. Good. What else? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Daniel, and again, when we get to that, the part of Daniel, like, yeah, like he, like imagine, like again, what we, we see that moment as like a confident moment, like because he knows what it means and he's going to stand in for the king. But he starts by saying essentially the same thing that, the, you know, that the wise men said that sets the king off. <laughs> you know, like, you know, what you ask is impossible of men. Um, no wise man... No astrologer, nobody can do this. Um, they say it's only the gods, um, who, and they don't dwell in the flesh. So again, it's like they're acknowledging there's only a divine power that can reveal this, and you know, they're, they're almost acknowledging that their lack of trust in their gods to make it known to them. Only they can do it, and they don't dwell in the flesh, so there's no hope of communicating or getting that information from them. So... Um, and that's what sets Daniel's response apart, that, yeah, no one can um, reveal this except God, and God can make things known to man. Like, he, he's acknowledging that there is a reality to Israel's God um, that these, you know, gods of the Babylonians don't possess. I saw Scott's hand, and then I'll come to you, Victor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and again, I think the the way, like I, um, you know, I mentioned this last week. It's not just that Daniel and his friends purposed to be faithful, but they did so in a very winsome and compelling way that they could, you know, they did it with that wisdom, you know, that you know, it's of of how to deal with other people. And notice again here when. Um, uh, you know, the Arioch comes to him, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. So again, that one of those, uh, the word prudence there, um, uh, it actually is related to the, to the um, idea of taste. Like, you know, like, and, and it's that idea, like, you know, um, you know, he has a, a, a sense for, how to respond appropriately. Like, he knows how to do things in a tasteful way, <laughs> is, is that kind of, he knows how to 
um, discern, like I, I wish I, I like to cook, but I, I, I confess I'm not one of those people that can like taste something and say, oh, it's got this spice instead of that spice. I can only say, this goods, this is a little bitter. <laughs> um, like, but it's that idea of being able to discern things. And so he has that kind of discernment and prudence that he's able to ask for and receive time. <laughs> um, and, you know, get this, um, you know, brief reprieve in order to follow his course of action, which we'll turn to in just a second. Yeah, Victor. <laughs> uh, yeah, and again, when we get to Nebuchadnezzar's um, response at the end, like, you know, he, he, it's not a confession of faith yet. Um, it's an acknowledgement, okay, there's some real power here, but it's not yet. You got to get to the message and understand it's not just that God reveals things, but they, they also have to listen to the message, which when we get into the heart of the message, um, you know, that there is a kingdom that is um, separate from and superior to the kingdoms of this earth. And all these kingdoms, from the splendid gold one to the iron and clay one, they all get shattered and, and crushed to dust. So just acknowledging that there is a God who speaks isn't enough. You also have to, I, I think you're right, you have to, there has to be this further um, step of assenting to the truth of what that God says. Um, uh, uh, I, um, and uh, just to, like, we can might maybe think of Nebuchadnezzar's demand as kind of like unparalleled. Um, Herodotus actually tells the story of Croesus. You've, you've heard, you know, somebody's rich as Croesus. Uh, so Croesus was the king of Sardis. He wanted to go make war against Persia. So he wanted to ask all the oracles whether he should do it or not. So he devised a test. And so it was very similarly that the oracle had to say what would the king kept put into this you know, box in his house. And the oracle that could reveal that was like, that was going to be the true one. Um, so the oracle at Delphi told him what was in the box. So, you know, Croesus sent all these gifts to the Oracle of Delphi to kind of butter it up and said, should I go to war against Persia? And like, if you go to war against Persia, a great empire will fall. So he goes to wage his war against Persia. Cyrus crushes him, <laughs> captures Sardis, puts him in chains. And so he complains to the Oracle at Delphi. The Oracle said, well, you should have asked whose empire. <laughs> it was his. <laughs> um, but it's that I, you know, so there's certainly a sense um, in this culture and era of, of creating tests because, like, again, like, wise men can just make stuff up. How do you know you're getting real truth? Um, and so, yeah, is it just like the Oracle of Delphi had a superior crystal ball, or is it that this is a god who doesn't just reveal things but, but has real power? Um, and that, like, you know, as we get into the substance um, that's how Daniel understands what's been revealed to him. Like, again, it's, it, he's thankful that God reveals things, he shows things, but he's also um, the, the God who has power um, to, to do things. 
in human history. So I think you're, you're right. It's a combination of here's a God who reveals things to men, um, but it, you know, acknowledging that isn't enough. You have to go that next step to acknowledge what he says is true and, that the, and to exercise trust in the kingdom that he's seeking to establish. Yes, sir. Sorry. I'm, I'm looking this way. I, I, I never could hit a baseball for, for those reasons, like no peripheral vision. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is, and, and that that glory isn't just for the nation of Israel. It's the you know he is the God of all the nations. He's the God of the entirety of this earth. He, this kingdom that he's establishing, this mountain, isn't just the Mount of Jerusalem, but it's a mountain that's going to grow and spread and and overshadow the the entirety of the earth. Um, and um, this process of establishing that kingdom, like it's happening here, like it's 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 a future moment, but that God is at work in establishing His kingdom in the here and now by how He's caring for His people while they're in captivity, um, setting and with each of these successive kingdoms, how He protects His people until the time, um, as we'll be seeing in Luke. You know, a specific moment when a specific Roman governor um, is in place, you know, that the king is born. So, absolutely. You know, like chapter one, you could see how Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, my gods are superior to their gods because I took their god's stuff and, like, put it in my god's temple. And, and just like um, when the Philistines took the ark and, you know, put it before their god Dagon and, you know, to demonstrate their superiority over the God of Israel. Like, you know, it's this kind of symbolic way of uh, establishing their superiority. And, and God demonstrates that, yeah, this, where you put my stuff doesn't matter because I'm the God, um, you know, overall. Um, so, you know, Dagon ends up on the floor, and then Dagon ends up without a head, <laughs> um, bowed before the God of Israel. And here, like, yeah, you know, you can take my people captive, you can capture my stuff, but I'm the God uh, who gives wisdom to the wise. I'm the God who changes times and seasons. I'm the God who sets up and takes down. Um, and that's a lesson that God is teaching Nebuchadnezzar in the book. We'll see again when we get to, um, uh, in a couple chapters, uh, chapter four, we see again Nebuchadnezzar having dreams, and in and, and chapter four, he God um, humiliates Nebuchadnezzar even further by giving him madness for a time, um, until he acknowledges the supremacy of 
of God. Um, all right, well, let's... Uh, um, Yeah, and yeah, that we're getting a snapshot of his heart. That one, he has no peace, and two, uh, he lashes out in 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 violence. Like you know, um, he, for the lack of a better term, he throws a tantrum, <laughs> and because he's you know so powerful, his tantrums um, you know kill people. <laughs> um, that and, and we'll see, like you know. This is a repeated, like, trait that, like, if, you know, using violence to, to send a message. And here, sending a message, like, if y'all don't tell me what I want, then, you know, you're all dead. <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, you, you, you and, and everything you have will be destroyed. Um, and... So that sets uh, the stage. So um, we talked a little bit about this. So again, I, I think this chapter is making a comparison between the character of Nebuchadnezzar. He has no peace. He lashes out um, in violent anger. Um, yeah, what, what do we learn from Daniel's response? So, you know, Daniel, you know, it seems like he's kind of outside uh, the news of this, somebody has to come tell him. Um, so, yeah, how does Daniel respond to this news that the king intends to take the, his life and the lives of his companions? Um, so how does Daniel respond? Yeah, like, what's, what's the rush? <laughs> um, you know, uh, and uh, and I like how you know Daniel um, uh, pleads not just for his his own life, but um, you know for the lives of the other wise men, because um, he says, uh, "Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I'll show the king the interpretation." He he could have said. Um, I know the interpretation. You can kill the rest of them, <laughs> um, or you can kill, you know, everybody but me and my three friends. Um, um, but he doesn't do that. Um, he very, uh, you know, uh, he asks for mercy. Um, he asks for time. Good. Well, how else does Daniel respond? Yeah, and again, like, uh, he, he, he has this great combination of courage, like, again, because he goes in for the king, and he does this, you know, in one sense, he, he asks for time, which the king had said, I'm not going to, y'all are just, all you wise men, all you want is, is time, 
to you know, make up some kind of line answer. And Daniel asks the same thing <laughs> time. Um, he declares the same thing to the king when we get to that point. Like, you know, uh, no person, no wise man, no astrologer can, can make this matter known to you. Like, that's what they said. <laughs> it, it has to come from some unearthly power, something not of flesh and blood has to, to reveal this. Um, the difference is Daniel actually believes that um, his God can and does make these matters known. Um, so this tremendous courage mixed also with this, um, this you know, wise way of dealing with people, um, asking for things in persuasive, winsome ways that Arioch responds to him. The king responds to him and gives him time. Um, so, it, I mean, again, I think there's a lot to learn from how Daniel responds. Like, um, trying to, I was trying to think of instances, and, and maybe y'all have experienced moments where, you know, you're being collectively punished for something you didn't yourself do. Like, has that ever happened to you? Like, you know, like part of a group, somebody does something, and so the response is, like, we're going to punish everybody. Like, um, this... Uh, Sports, this is also often happens. Like one person on the team keeps, you know, being late or making mistakes, so everybody has to run. Um, and personally, I got really angry. <laughs> like, why am I being punished because so and so kept messing up? Like, this doesn't seem fair. Like, you know, he could respond in that kind of anger. Um, you know, sense of injustice, I'm being punished for what somebody else did, because that's like, you know, like at this point, nobody's asked him to interpret the dream. They've just showed up at his house to kill him because he's, you know, among the class of, of wise men. Um, but that's not how he responds. Like, again, he, um, he has the, the courage to, 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 you know, ask the captain, like, you know, why is the decree so urgent? Like, you know, uh, it takes a little boldness to ask that. And then, you know, he Daniel went in, requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So, like, you know, you know don't rush, king. You know, just give me a time and, and uh, you know, I, we'll see what God does. Go ahead. Yes. So, so his first response, once he gets the, the um, pause, like, you know, he, he gets the time, his, his real response is to pray, and not just for himself to pray, but to enlist his friends in prayer. So notice he, he went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So it wasn't just... Um, personal prayer, but he enlisted um, his friends in, in kind of a cloud of prayer. Like, so it's not just he himself is asking things of God, but the first response of him and his companions is to pray. Um, to, because again, like Daniel is being honest. Like this is, a, you know, this is something that belongs only to God. Um, and only God is the one who can make these matters known. So it's that, that faith um, that in God 
that um, is being expressed in the, the means of prayer. Like, like, you know, he wouldn't pray unless he really believed that God could do something. Um, and, and God does. John, and then you, Ron. Absolutely, like and like, they know there there is real danger here. Like that, captain of the guard has shown up to kill me. <laughs> um, you know that's a dangerous situation. You know, like he's going into the presence of the king, and the first words out of his mouth are exactly the same words that set the king off um, in in his anger tantrum to to begin with. Um, um, but. Like, so in that moment, like, he, he's exercising faith, um, you know, in, to, and, and once God makes it known, like, you know, his first response isn't to go rush to the king and tell him the news. His first response is to turn to God in, in prayer, um, you know, in, in a prayer of praise. Like, prayer is, is not only his, um, you know, response to the problem, Prayer is also his response to God giving him the solution, um, which uh, is really important because often we're good at asking, <laughs> pleading. Like we, we don't have difficulty when in, in tough times uh, praying to God, but I, I think our hearts are often revealed by what happens next. Um, I, I noticed this, um, you know, some of you, I study ships. Um, so ship logbooks often have this kind of formulaic phrase at the beginning of them, like, you know, the ship Mary bound from Boston to Lisbon, God send her to her desired port. Um, and I argue that's kind of like this inherent sense of in uncertainty in their venture. Like, they know where they're going, but they know a lot can happen in the North Atlantic between there and Lisbon. Um, and so they're, you know, making this plead for providential protection on the voyage. So I'd say the majority of 18th century logbooks have that phrase. Some logbooks, a few, actually have uh, a phrase at the end of the log, thanking God. Um, and often it's, you know, to God be the glory alone, you know, sully deo gloria. Um, written at the end of the logbook, acknowledging you know, this um, praise once they reach the destination. Like lots of them do it when they're at the beginning of the voyage, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. Very few of them do the next step that Daniel does. Is once they get the you know get what they asked for, that they lavish praise um, and and give God the honor and glory for accomplishing that which they've asked. And that's what Daniel does here in this, you know, um, breaking out into this um, prayer of, of adoration once God has made this revelation known to him. 
Yeah, that, uh, and again, like, um, the, just to like put the plug in for our prayer meeting <laughs> in, in two weeks uh, on September 30th, like as we as a congregation think about things like facilities and what we should do, as we seek to make that decision, we should be involved in, in prayer and, and not just as individuals, but to, together uh, corporately, like, because that is... Um, that's where wisdom is to be found in the Word of God, trusting in Him and His His uh, sovereign leading. Um, so we, you know, to to act in faith requires having this, you know, uh, tr expressing that trust in God by praying in faith. Um, you know, and it's this, you know, God wants to hear the prayers of His people. Um, prayer is this means of grace that God has given to us. It's, it's something that he's given to us as a tool through which he blesses us. He, sh he, he shows us grace, uh, dispenses grace to us through prayer. Um, and, and Daniel is, is modeling that for us in a, a really beautiful way. Um, what's, uh, we're, we're obviously not going to get through the whole thing. <laughs> um, but what I would like to get through is um, uh, get up to like verse 30, and then next week we can focus on the dream and, and what it means. Um, uh, but for now, um, uh, yeah, how, let's, uh, what do we learn from how, um, how uh, you know, what do we learn from Daniel's response? Um, and, and what are the striking points or main points of the, praise that he gives to God. Like how does he structure this prayer? Or what are the key parts of the prayer?
Yeah, so notice that structure. Like, he, the, the real thanksgiving for, for the revelation part comes at the end. Like, the first part of the praise reflects his understanding of the vision itself. That, you know, he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. Like, that's re- reflecting this, you know, the message of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Like, he under, God's given him the interpretation. And so he's, he starts his prayer in, in thanksgiving for what God has chosen to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar. Like, that this is the God... Um, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He's the one who um, gives knowledge and understanding, and he's the one who's given this glimpse of the things that are come to pass, like things that aren't going to happen just in the life of Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar, but things, you know, far off. um, So he starts... Um, this prayer of praise, praising God for the substance of what God reveals, and then praise for the fact that God made it known to him. Like, as you say, the personal part. This is, you're the one, you're the only one who can make these things known, and you've chosen to make them known to me. Um, And in doing so, you're saving my life and the lives of my companions. And praise the Lord. Um, thank you, God, for showing such kindness and mercy to us. Um, but it's the, I, I love the kind of structure. It's like he, he's thankful for the big kingdom picture first and then the personal. Um, you know, it, it's kind of, whereas, again, self-confession, like, I, you know, I have a tendency to do the other. <laughs> Me first. <laughs> uh, and then, oh yeah, this is good for other reasons too. And this is good because it shows something really um, uh, amazing about the glory of God. He starts with what's really amazing about the glory of God and then gets to thank you for saving our lives by revealing this to us. Other things about um, how uh, Daniel prays here. What about uh, when he, he goes in, uh, um, the kind of preamble, um, when he goes in before the king? Some of this, like we've seen the parallel. He starts the same way that the Chaldeans, you know, Nobody, uh, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or scholar can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Yeah, so he's, he's being absolutely clear. This, my ability to tell you your dream and to tell you what it means is not me. Um, it's, it's not because I have wisdom more than any other living, even though 
you know, Nebuchadnezzar, last chapter we saw when he interviewed Daniel and his friends, found them ten times smarter than everybody else. It's not because I'm ten times smarter than everybody else. Um, you know, he has this great humility um, that it's God, and it's God's purposes to give Nebuchadnezzar the dream, and it's God's purpose to show Nebuchadnezzar what it means. And I love this phrase, you know, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Like, and again, like Nebuchadnezzar is, has thoughts that trouble him, that drive him from his sleep, and he has no idea why. Um, he has no idea why he is so troubled. He, like, he doesn't know himself, uh, in a sense. But God knows him, um, and God knows his thoughts better than Nebuchadnezzar knows himself. Um, and, you know, what a tremendous picture of, again, here he's standing in before the king, um, who has sent forth this edict that, you know, these wise men who plead for time, you know, he doesn't have a lot of faith in wise men, and he's saying the same kind of things, like, this is impossible for man. Um, and not only is he saying that, he's also saying, yeah, there's a God who is superior to you, um, who knows your thoughts better than you know yourself. And that's who has chosen to trouble you, but also has chosen to reveal this to you, you know, to make uh, known to you things that, um, uh, you know, knowledge, truth about events that are to come, um, like things in the latter days, like, and God has has chosen this moment to make this known to the most powerful uh, human entity in this region at this time. Yeah, that, and again, he, God wants to, to not just make something known to Nebuchadnezzar, like, but he also wants Nebuchadnezzar to understand his true place in the world. That even though he is, as Daniel says, you know, you're the king of kings, the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory. Those are expressions that we usually ascribe to God himself. Like, you know, you're the king who has, you know, the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory. You know, here Daniel's saying that about Nebuchadnezzar. But <laughs> you, you have this as gift. Like, don't get it in your head that, you know, you have ultimate power. That, that you are a subordinate power. Um, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, when he talks about this, um, um, includes this passage from Andrew Melville, who was a Scottish Presbyterian minister. 
um, speaking to who was then, at the time, James VI of Scotland, who becomes James I of, of Scotland and England uh, later. But um, so when he was still James VI of Scotland, uh, Melville went before him and, and um, James was trying to exercise some control over the church. And uh, so Melville went to him and said this, Sir, we will always humbly reverence your majesty in public. But since we have this occasion to be with your majesty in private, we must discharge our duty or else be traitors both to Christ and you. Therefore, sir, at diverse times I have told you, so now again I must tell you, there are two kings and two kingdoms in Scotland. There's King James, the Lord of the Commonwealth, and there's Christ Jesus, the King of the Church, whose subject James VI is, and of whose kingdom he is not a king, nor a lord, nor a head. We will yield to you your place, and give you all due obedience. Begin, I say, you are not the head of the church. You cannot give us that eternal life that we seek for even in this world, and you cannot deprive us of it. <laughs> um, and it's that kind of idea. Like he, he doesn't just want to make something known to Nebuchadnezzar. He wants Nebuchadnezzar to understand his true place um, in the world, that he is, yes, a powerful king, um, who has tremendous earthly glory and might. But that's temporal. Um, that itself is something he's received. That is something that can be taken from him. That is something that will not last, but you know, um, be rendered unto dust. Um, but there is this other king <laughs> to whom Nebuchadnezzar needs to owe due allegiance and whose kingdom is eternal and will not crumple, will not fall. And Nebuchadnezzar needs to know that kingdom. Um, he needs to know that power. He needs to know that is the true source of, of wisdom. Um, so he needs to have that right sense of humble obedience to that God. All right, so we'll pause here in the middle of chapter 2, and next week we'll focus on the dream and its meanings and look at Nebuchadnezzar's response to it. But let me close our time together in prayer.